Worried Writer, helping you to overcome fear, self-doubt and procrastination to get the work done. I'm your host, Sarah Painter, and I'm a novelist and self-confessed worried writer. For show notes, resources and much more, please head to worriedwriter.com. And now, on with the show. Episode 40 of The Worried Writer. I'm recording this Thursday, the 31st of May, 2018, on a noisy day here in Scotland. I record out in my garden office, and it's usually super quiet, but my neighbours must be having some sort of heavy work done in their garden, and there's been chainsaws and all kinds of machinery noises. It's gone quiet, so I'm going to record, but I may have to do some stop start and editing. I interviewed um, Victoria Walters on Tuesday and um, she was super nice about it, but we had to keep on pausing in our conversation um, while some sort of chainsaw would sort of rev up like punctuation while we were speaking. Uh, Victoria was so nice about it and so patient, but I was a wee bit mortified. Never mind, these things happen. My guest today is author of feel-good romantic comedy, Cressida McLaughlin. We talk about the challenges and advantages of writing books which are released in four-part serial form, as well as her working process and schedule as a full-time author. I don't have much of a writing update for you this month, I'm afraid, as it's been um, a very tough month, personally, and work has had to take a bit of a back seat. Safe to say, I'm still working on my current book. I can't believe it still isn't finished, but I have a good feeling about June. More seriously, I have a solid plan for finishing it this month, and renewed determination too. Also, I'm still on submission for my supernatural thriller, so fingers crossed there, but no solid news to share as yet. In more positive news, uh, Writers Forum magazine featured me, and The Worried Writer, in the latest edition, and I got sent lovely flowers and tea-related goodies um, from Lake Union to celebrate selling 50,000 copies of In the Light of What We See. I really wish that I could go back in time and tell 2011 Sarah, who was seriously considering giving up the pursuit of publishing, Since I can't do that, I will simply share that I very much felt as if I was a hopeless case those years ago, and while rejection is a continual thing, as I will no doubt get a load of rejections for my thriller any moment now, but perseverance really is the key. I had no idea back in 2011 that I was going to get published, and that a few short years later, I would be getting flowers to celebrate selling 50,000 copies of a book. That was inconceivable to me at the time, and um, to be honest, I can't really believe it now either. I'm delighted. In other good news, I am still bowled over by the lovely response to my Patreon page. Thank you so much. If you are supporting me on Patreon, I appreciate it so much. And welcome to the inner circle of the podcast community. There are three exclusive episodes up now, and another one will land in the middle of June. So a big thank you to new patrons, Michael Patrick Goss, Claire Chandler, Krista Adams, Georgia B, and Ida Olson. It means so much to me that you are willing to support the show in this way. Thank you. 
And now, on to this month's listener question. This month's question comes from Marie Madigan, who is a long-time listener and a patron of the show. Thanks, Marie. Marie asked, When you finished a first draft, how do you tackle self-editing to get it into shape for submission, whether to an editor or your agent? In particular, how do you do this without letting the critical editor side go too far, and maybe strip out what makes your voice and novel unique? Now, this is a fantastic question. Um, it's not got a very simple answer, and it's probably quite an annoying answer, because a lot of it, I do think, comes down to experience. The more you write, the more you finish things, the more you then go back and edit, the better you get, the better your kind of gut sense about how much to edit gets. Well, first off, I'm just going to tackle the first part, which is the practicalities of how I tackle the editing to get it in shape. I tend to start with the really big stuff. So when I go through it, if I think that there are big things that need to be moved around, uh, plot issues, uh, things like that, um, then I tackle those first because there's no point really getting down into the nitty gritty and tweaking sentences to make them beautiful when you may well find that you've then got to cut that whole scene or rework it completely because of a continuity issue or a character arc issue. So I do big heavy lifting plot stuff and character stuff first. And one of the ways I do that is I will go through and I will sort of summarize each scene. Um, So I've got a couple of lines which tell me what happened in that scene, maybe with some wee notes about what's going on with the characters. And then I've got a sort of outline which I've done after the fact, if that makes sense. And that can be really good to get a sort of um, bird's eye view of whether the book works as a whole and any major plot holes and so on. So once I've tackled the big stuff, that's when I go down into the smaller um, sentence level kind of stuff. Um, The other thing that I do is I do several passes. So I might do one in particular for character arc and just go through checking each character or character voice, something like that. Um, And I will search through the manuscript, skipping through, paying attention to one particular facet at a time. So on to the next bit, which is quite tricky. How do you do this without letting the critical editor side go too far? And I love this question, but it is really difficult to answer. As I said, I do think a lot of it does come down to experience and learning to trust your own gut and getting to know your own voice. The problem with our own voices, though, is that they're pretty much invisible to us. I believe that your voice is really what you can't help. And quite often, your voice might sound a wee bit boring to you um, because you know it so well. So I would say for this, that if you are worrying that perhaps you're over-editing and stripping out your voice, that might be your subconscious waving a flag and telling you that perhaps that you are over-editing. If you've been through to make sure, like to fix big problems, to fix continuity stuff, I would suggest letting it go. Pass it on to a first reader Um, Let them tell you if there are bits that are confusing or sentences that don't make any sense, but maybe just step away from the nitty-gritty editing and then just move on to the next book. The other advantage of getting going on the next book is that when you do, if you do decide to go back to your current one, you will have a bit more um, distance and you might be able to see things more clearly. 
Another tip um, would be to read passages out. Um, so if you're at a sentence level of editing and you just kind of want to check that your sentences are flowing, but you don't want to over edit, I would suggest reading out loud. I mean, apart from anything else, it's in a different format. So you may well stumble over things, find things more easily, but also it is quite literally your voice when you're reading out loud. And that might help you to sort of stay within it. Oh, and although I said that was the final tip, the other thing that I do when I'm um, doing sort of line sentence editing um, is I will go through and I will look for repeated words or um, repeated phrasing. You also perhaps over time will find that you've got we um, uh, linguistic ticks that you use um, in your writing. And once you get to know your own, you can then search for them to make sure you haven't overused them. Well, I do hope that helps a wee bit, Marie, and um, thank you again for the fantastic question. If you have a writing, productivity, or publishing question that you'd like me to tackle in a future episode, please do get in touch. You can email me, sarah at worriedwriter.com, or visit worriedwriter.com and use the contact form, or leave a comment on the show notes. You can also find me on Twitter, at Sarah R. Painter or on the Worried Writer Facebook page. Thank you so much for listening, subscribing, rating, and sharing the podcast. I really appreciate it. And a quick shout-out to some lovely folk on Twitter. Damon Lord, who is at Damon Lord. Damon has been going through the backlist, and he said that episode 14 on anxiety was truly helpful. I'm so glad, Damon. Laura Boas, who's at Laura Boas Lit, called Stop Worrying, Start Writing a total gem of a book. Thank you, Laura. And Holly Cave, who's at Holly A. Cave. Holly said, I love starting my day gently with the Worried Writer podcast and Sarah's soothing voice. Like most folk, I hate my voice, so comments like this are absolutely lovely and really help my confidence. Thank you, Holly. And now... Onto the interview section of the show. Cressida McLaughlin writes feel-good romances for HarperCollins, including the best-selling The Canal Boat Cafe and The Once in a Blue Moon Guesthouse. Cressida's latest series is called The House of Birds and Butterflies and is being released in four parts in ebook format before the paperback arrives this summer. Welcome to the show, Cressida, and thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. It's a pleasure to be on your show. Well, I want to start off by saying a huge congratulations on your new series. Uh, could you tell us all a wee bit more about The House of Birds and Butterflies? Yes, of course, and uh, thanks very much. Yeah, The House of Birds and Butterflies is my fourth full-length novel, um, and it's set in the Suffolk countryside at a nature reserve called Meadowsweet Nature Reserve. And it focuses on Abbey Field, who's the activity coordinator there. It's a small nature reserve and recently it's not been doing too well. And so the boss of the nature reserve, Penelope, tells Abby that she needs to bring in more visitors. She needs to work on ways to kind of get the visitors coming in and boost its popularity. Um, but there's a cottage on the very edge of the nature reserve um, that's had a new, someone new move into it. And he turns out to be a thorn in Abby's side as he starts complaining about all the people w walking and driving past his house. And that's kind of where the initial story starts and the conflict comes in. Oh, fabulous. And am I right in thinking that the first two parts are out currently? 
Yes, that's right. The first two parts are out. Uh, the next one's out on this Friday and then the other one the next couple of weeks with the paperback coming a couple of months down the line in August. Oh, that's exciting. <laughs> and I was just saying before we hit record that I can't wait to read it, but I'm kind of waiting until all of the parts come out so that I can just go through it all in one go. Um, and I just, I wondered about how the four-part series um, method of publication and writing kind of worked for you, both in terms of writing it and also in terms of the sort of publishing side, like uh, reader expectation and marketing and annoying people like me that say, I love the look of it, but I'm going to wait. <laughs> sure. And that is a very, very popular um, response to the way that it's published. Uh, I do get some reviews on Amazon saying, oh, I absolutely love this. I can't wait to read the next part. But actually, I'm quite annoyed that I have to wait to read the next part. Um, which is a fair enough result and I do know lots of people like to wait for the full thing to come out I kind of think of it as like kind of television box sets you you kind of get to the end of that episode and it's a cliffhanger and you're really excited to see what happens next but also there's something enjoyable about that sense of anticipation of not being able to kind of read through it or watch the whole series in one go um, and so I do get a mixed response in that respect but lots of people seem to like it and um, from a kind of publishing point of view I'm very lucky in the sense that I get five beautiful covers I get uh, five publication days quite close together and in that sense I kind of and on social media and with the marketing it's kind of always there somehow like I can always say oh the next part's coming out next week whereas with kind of a paperback or ebook that's published in one go um you kind of have the lead up to release but then it's kind of all in one hit whereas mine's kind of feels like it's got a slightly more solid lead up because books are coming out and people can read them and the reviews start coming in so even for those people that are waiting for the paperback they've kind of seen that reviews are here and there's kind of a bit of anticipation building about it so I think in that respect it's really really good um, from a writing point of view it was it's kind of strange because all my books with HarperCollins have been published in this way so I've never had the experience of publishing a book in one go um, so it's always been that kind of four part thing. But when it came to plotting it and planning it, I found that really helpful because as well as my story arc for the whole book, I kind of had it split into four separate parts. And I knew I needed to make each part really good and have a kind of arc of its own, which then meant that it meant that there was always lots going on in the book. And I found that I wasn't getting to a point where there was a lull in the book. Um, and also, when I started, I was publishing it in the respect that the first part would often be published before I'd finished writing the last part. So I had to plan it incredibly strictly to make sure I didn't get to the end and think, oh, if I could only go back and change that bit in the beginning, everything would work. I had to kind of wow. be really strict about that, um, which was nerve wracking. But again, it also meant that I had planned it really, really tightly. And so when it came to writing it, I was never kind of sitting there thinking, oh, what comes next? What scene should I do next? I had that plan and I could somehow just be really free and really enjoy the actual writing um, from that respect. Um, also, when it comes to editing, it's a bit more complicated because I can be kind of writing one bit and editing another bit at the same time. Um, and so it just took me a while to get into the swing of that. But now that I'm on my fourth book in this format, 
and it feels like I've kind of got into the rhythm and I've got into the rhythm with my editor and I kind of know how it's all going to go and so it feels a lot more kind of familiar um so yeah I'd say that both from a writing point of view and a publishing point of view there's positives and negatives of doing it in this way um but I do really really like it I love the kind of all the beautiful covers um I love having that kind of sense of anticipation and seeing all the reviews come in and I think my readers really respond to it as well and really enjoy that too I think that's fascinating and um, I hadn't thought about it from the sort of marketing publishing side um, in quite that way. I love your analogy of the box set Um, and it's so true. There are lots of people that do enjoy watching or, you know, enjoying something in parts and having the anticipation. And then equally, if you do have somebody who does want to binge it, (laughs) then they just wait and binge it. It's it's not as if the option isn't there. Yeah, you're not losing that, but it just means that people would have to possibly wait a couple more months but then I hope by then they've seen other people reviewing it and seen the covers and they're even more excited to read it so that's also something I hadn't really thought about was that idea of having these like you're saying these new things to say these new covers these mini mini releases yeah yeah that's um and also I guess it maybe gooses the algorithms on some of the retailers as well because new releases can be quite yeah. good can't they for your visibility <laughs> so and if someone kind of spots a cover and sees that it's part three and they've never kind of encountered it before they can go back and find part one and yeah so I think it probably does work like that as well just again thinking about the the writing process I'm I'm in awe of how you must have the detail with which you planned <laughs> them and and writing those um separate arcs and making sure that there's some sort of cliffhanger and yeah. and all of that I mean that's incredible um your first book was also, as you said, was also a series. Um, was it written as a series when you submitted it or, or did, yes. it, did that come afterwards? Uh, well, what happened was I submitted a completely different book um, that the editor at HarperCollins, uh, Kate, read. And she said that she loved my writing style, but she wasn't sure that um, the book itself was quite right. Um, so we sat down and we kind of had a couple of meetings together and we discussed different ideas. And she said at that time, what I'd really like to do is publish a book in this series format. Um, so I kind of wrote my first book once I'd kind of got in touch with her, which meant that I was always doing it from that perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, it wasn't a book that she'd seen and thought, oh, we can chunk this up. Um, when I came at it, I came at it thinking this is going to be in four parts um, so it needs to work like that. Um, but I think what's very different is that the books that I wrote before I got a, a publishing deal, and there are uh, several of them, I always, I never planned properly. I had my setting and my characters, I had my beginning, I had my happy ending, and I kind of meandered my way to the finishing line. And so when it came to having to plan this book in such immense detail, it was a real challenge to begin with. I thought, I can't possibly do it. How can I kind of think what's going to happen in every chapter before I've even started writing and getting the characters fully formed in my head? Um, So it was difficult to change my way of writing completely. But I do think that it's really... It's, I think it's the best way to work for me, definitely, because like I said before, if I've got this really strict plan, I feel much more confident with the writing. I feel like I can express myself more. I'm not always wondering what's going to happen next or kind of sitting there thinking, oh, God, I've kind of written myself into a corner. Where do I go from here? That doesn't happen because I've spent all those kind of blood, sweat and tears kind of plotting it out at the beginning. 
I'm super envious of the planning and knowing where you're going. And I love the fact that you um, weren't a hardcore planner for your previous book. So um, was there anything that helped you transition? Was there anything that helped you learn how to plan? Or was it just a case of gritting it out and forcing yourself to make stuff up in a plan? Um, I think it was mainly a case of kind of gritting it out and just kind of seeing what worked. Um, and actually, I found that once I started doing it, it really, it was a really fun thing to do. Like I'd start with a synopsis that was a page long, and I think these are the big chunks. And then I'd just go along kind of over the next few weeks and slowly add bits and slowly build bits up and think, oh, how is this going to go in here? Um, I think I've looked at a couple of those kind of story arc things, like the three-act structure online and um, read a few blogs of how other writers do it as well which really really helped me to do that so that when I was doing that um, I kind of had that guidance but I think for me it was about taking the pressure off myself and thinking you don't all have to have this synopsis done in one day just kind of do it mull it over in your head and build it up as you go along um, and so I did that and I just was, would add more and more to it. And then when I've got kind of six or seven pages, I think, right, well, this is where the breaks of the parts go. And then as I built it up a bit more, I think, oh, right, well, so this is the end of chapter one and this is the end of chapter two. And it would just kind of come a bit organically, really. Um, and I'd just kind of build it up as I went along. And then by the end, I'd kind of have, have this synopsis. And I have to say that things do always still change as I'm writing. Like it's a strict plan. But it always, I mean, you can't help but kind of deviate. And also then when Kate sees it and she comes back with edit notes, you know, it never mm. stays exactly the same. Um, but it just feels having that plan is, is a good place to start from. Mm, no, definitely. But um, with the publishing schedule, you were saying that sometimes you might, you know, first parts might have been published when you're still working on the later <laughs> parts. I mean, that's... Yes. Mm. <laughs> I know what- that was the most terrifying oh, bit. And I tried oh. hard not to think too much about that because um, <laughs> I think if you do, it would just kind of drive you insane. Mm. But with this latest one, The House of Birds and Butterflies, because it's the first full-length book um, that I wrote as a full-time author. So before that, I had a day job where I was working four days a week and then writing one day and then evenings and weekends. Um so The House of Birds and Butterflies was my first one as a full-time author. And what I did was I wrote the whole thing really quickly probably in about six weeks and then went back and revised it and revised it and revised it and now I've done that although again I had a strict plan to work to I was still with my plan which now I think has become my way of working but um I can't now imagine being in that position of having the first part published when I'm still writing the end I just had felt so much more confident Mm -hmm. being able to write it all to start with, go back and revise it, go back and build in all the little clues at the beginning I needed to that would kind of make light of stuff at the end. Um, um, I still look back on those first three books and think, well, I'm quite proud that I achieved it without it all, the plot completely falling apart. Um, And obviously you learn with every book as you go along, um, but it felt a lot more comfortable. Again, I still do the edits in the chunks and I still kind of do it that way um and obviously it's still published in four parts but being able to write the whole thing in one go Mm. felt a lot more kind of solid somehow (laughs) that certainly sounds less stressful uh, preferable um but writing the first draft in about six weeks is super fast um so I feel like we're beginning to touch on one of your uh secrets of being so (laughs) prolific which is something (laughs) I wanted to ask about so Mm. how do you write so quickly how are you so prolific 
what's your process or your weekly schedule like? Um, okay, well, I think, although I've mentioned it a lot before, I think the planning helps to be so prolific. Because mm-hmm. once you've done that, I feel like I can just go at the book and I can write it quickly because I feel confident about what's happening. Um, I usually start about seven, half seven in the morning. I work much better early in the morning um, and I'll write through probably till about two o'clock with coffee and a lunch break as well. Um, I aim for probably four to 5,000 words a day. So kind of uh, one chapter, um, which I think feels good to me and feels kind of quite nice and um, solid. But some I have been known, especially with this last book, because I just loved it so much and I love the characters. I didn't want to stop writing. I think there were a couple of days where I wrote 10,000 words. Um, and they were, you know, they were pretty awful words. <laughs> they had to have a lot of revision. Um, but I, I did kind of get through a big chunk of, of the stuff because I was so looking forward to writing it. Um, and I usually do that four or five days a week. Um, if I'm in the kind of first draft or editing thing, I do like to kind of be quite strict with myself in that respect and leave all the kind of peripheral stuff to the afternoon. So after two o'clock, I usually do kind of any blogs I want or catch up with interviews, social media, things like that. Um, But I think I've always been quite a quick writer. When I get into the story, I get so enthusiastic about it that I don't really want to stop. So sometimes I have to drag myself away from the computer, even though I know that my brain's turned to mush and actually the words probably don't make any sense at all. And I do, yeah, I do kind of write quite quickly just because I get so into it, I think. Hmm, that's well that's a nice problem to have (laughs) and do you ever sort of struggle with creative block or do you ever struggle uh, struggle do you ever struggle with um (laughs) with that sort of self-discipline you know you were saying that um this is the first book that you've written as a full-time writer was were there any sort of challenges or has it just been fantastic no day Um, job (laughs) it is it is fantastic I just think it is I feel lucky to be in this position and to be able to do this um, I think with all writers, you do get that self that self doubt and the procrastination. Mm. Um, there are days sometimes, as much as I've said, I get into the story and you know ten thousand words and all this. There are days when I just sit down at my computer and my brain just won't be in it, and I'll realise I've spent like four hours on shopping websites, kind of browsing and <laughs> looking, refreshing Twitter. Who's going to say something next and <laughs> and all this stuff? But I tend to find that if I just open the document, if I open Scrivener or I open my Word document and it's sitting there, then I can just get on with it. But the problem ha- I have is sometimes I won't open that document for the whole morning. And that's kind of how I procrastinate. Um, and self-doubt, I think, is a constant thing. And comparing yourself to other authors, oh, they're higher up the rankings than me. Oh, my God, they're getting better reviews than me. And and especially kind of getting close to publication, what will people think? Will they hate the heroine? Will they think my setting's lame? What will they think mm-hmm. of the hero? You just, I think that that never, ever goes away. And sometimes it can be kind of quite stifling. Um, and I think that, when that happens, the thing that I do is I just remind myself that actually I've written some books and that is quite a big achievement. And at some point I had all this problem with the first book and the second book and the third book and I was worried about this and I was staring out of the window on this one and I still managed it. And I think if I kind of remind myself of that and remind myself why I love writing and go back into the story, then that kind of helps me to kind of 
get over it probably and, and get back into it. But there are whole days when I'll sit there and then I'll give up and I'll go and read a book and I'll feel incredibly guilty that I'm reading a book because I shouldn't <laughs> be writing. Um, so yeah, it it's not all kind of perfect by any means. No, that's really good advice, though. And I am also glad that you are human and sometimes you do procrastinate. But um, do you sort of track you, uh, your word count or your hours worked or anything like that? Or I don't know. I don't track them. So I don't have a specific target. But I know when I've felt like I've done a good day's work, a good day's writing or editing, if I've done kind of a thousand words, I'll be very, very cross with myself because to, because I write so fast and then go back and do quite a lot of editing to fix it all later, especially in first draft mode, I like to kind of have four or 5,000 words. Um, I use Scrivener for my first draft, which I find really, really helpful. Um, and that kind of keeps a track of your word counts and you can see how chapter lengths compare with each other. And I find that really useful in getting the balance of the book right. And I don't ever turn off the internet. Um, I don't have one of those things that turns it off. And I do often... I'll write, I'll go, oh, I've written a paragraph. I can spend five minutes looking at Twitter and then five minutes becomes an hour and I think I have to get back into it. Um, so I'm not very self-disciplined in that respect. Like I don't kind of, I'm not that strict with myself in taking away all the other distractions. But I think if I did, I'd just sit there thinking, I can't do this, I can't do this. And then I probably wouldn't write as effectively. Mm, no, that makes a lot of sense. It's about knowing yourself, isn't it? Yeah. And I think when you were saying about you know when you've been working, you know when you've done a good day's work. And that's really helpful, I think, because sometimes when you're editing, it's maybe I, I struggle with editing because you can't see, like I can't just write down, oh, two and a half thousand words. Exactly. You know, and, and that sort of time, sometimes I'll time myself or I'll, you know, I'll maybe note down how many hours I was working or something to make myself feel better. But ultimately, I know when I've been yeah. working and I know when I haven't. <laughs> you know when you've yeah. kind of done a big chunk of that naughty thing that wasn't working quite right when yeah. you fixed it, um, which I always find is a big thing in editing. Like if you, you know, if you've got your edit notes back and there's some chapters which are okay, but for some little bits, and then there's the big naughty things that really need to be reworked or the order needs to be changed or you need to develop a character. I always think, you know, if I just skim through and do all the really light fluffy stuff and then think, oh, I can go off and watch telly now. I think, no, you haven't tackled a big chunk of kind of wrongness. You haven't kind of um, fixed something Then I know that I haven't really done a good job. So, yeah, you have to have different parameters, I think, for the different mm -hmm. stages of stuff, don't you? And do you try and take weekends off and try and just keep like working days to Monday to Friday or I, I do now um, and that's one of the biggest changes probably since becoming full-time because I did so much writing in the evenings and the weekends um, because I just that was the time that I had to do it really and it was a bit of a revelation you know and sit downstairs on the sofa and my husband would be like oh you're here do you want to do something and I'd be like yes I've got a weekend <laughs> which we do and he kind of put his PS4 down and realised that he had to spend some time with me. Um, but yes, I have tried to do that. There have obviously been some cases where the deadline's there and I've had to do something midweek and so I have to make up for it. Or just that I've got a new idea or I really want to get something down. The scene's been kind of burning a hole in my brain um, <laughs> and I will kind of disappear. But on the whole now, I do kind of keep it as a job and have the evenings and weekends to myself, which is both really good for me, I think, but also really good for my writing. 
because I'm kind of giving myself space in between the writing to think about what I've done. And as you will know, always quite a lot of the processing happens when you've stepped away from the computer or the notebook. And so I think that that's really helpful to have that space away from it and then come back refreshed the next day or a Monday morning. I think, right, now I can tackle this this thing. So, yeah, I think it's great to have that that option. Yeah, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that writing full time is going well for you. That's fantastic. (laughs) Um, Now, I realise I've been getting very excited and continuing on with all the sort of current stuff. But really, we should go right back to the beginning um, and ask the the common question. Have you always wanted to be a writer? No, definitely not. No, I've always loved books and I've always loved reading. I come from a really kind of bookish family. And in fact, Um, My mum was an editor um, at a publishing firm and my dad was an author's agent Um, and there was always books in my family and always that huge encouragement to read and I kind of rebelled a bit from it at one point and I thought I'm not going to, it was kind of a toss up between going to art college or going to study English literature at university and I was like I'm going to art college, I'm going to step away from all this and then I didn't, I went to UEA and did English literature Um, but in because it's such a kind of creative writing university it's got a huge kind of reputation um, and has had huge successes when you did English literature in your first term at university one of the units that you had to do was creative writing you like and I was so cross about that because I didn't want to do it I didn't want to write poems or stories I wanted to read books and you know critique them that's what I really wanted to do Um, and there were some people in my class who were kind of desperate to be writers and they couldn't understand why I didn't want to do this but I was really anti kind of doing the writing thing and it wasn't until my second job after university when I was working for the local kind of adult education service And back at that time, they had some spare money. And if you worked there, you could pick a course and do a a term of it for free. And I don't know why, but I kind of looked at all the art ones and thought, I've done lots of art. I've done, you know, I don't really want to do this. I don't want to do a language. I don't want to do. And I just thought, I'll give creative writing a go. Um, And so I kind of signed up and did the first term of this. And within the first lesson, I just thought, oh, my God, I absolutely loved it. I loved the tutor. I love the kind of encouragement from all the other writers who are also really nervous about kind of doing this for the first time and all the little exercises and that kind of intense terror when he was like, right, we're going to go around the room and you have to read yours out. Um, I just loved everything about it. And so once that term was done, I kind of signed up. I did a whole year of that. And then when that finished, I did a diploma at UEA. I went back to UEA and did a kind of, you know, one evening a week diploma in creative writing which I loved again. And that was a kind of a bit more intense. There were only six of us in the class. So you got to really work on something and kind of look at each other's work, um, which I found really encouraging. And then at the end of that, I thought, right, I'm going to write a book. I'm going to write a book and I'm going to uh, get it published and I'm going to be a writer. (laughs) It's going to be that simple. And of course it wasn't anyway. (laughs) So what happened from I'm going to write a book? Uh, to your what was your path to publication (laughs) it's very very long and winding and I wrote my first book and I thought I'm going to send it off I'm going to send it to agents and do the whole submission process so I did that and I got huge huge rejection you know many many rejections back and lots of encouraging rejections which were probably their standard encouraging rejections but gave me kind of a glimmer of hope 
Um, so I wrote a second book um, and I did the same thing and I sent that out and I started getting rejections back. And then I discovered a wonderful website called Novelicious, um, which was run by uh, Kirsty Greenwood and a team of bloggers. Mm-hmm. And it was for writers and readers. It had reviews. It had lots of articles and interviews with authors. It had a fantastic post every Friday morning called My Book Deal Moment. And I would read those so hungrily thinking, one day I'm going to have a book deal moment. And I found it really, really inspiring. And in 2012, I think it was, they had a competition called Novelicious Undiscovered, which I entered with the first 3,000 words of my um, second book. And the shortlisted entrance um, had the opportunity to be voted for by the public. They would be kind of printed on the site and voted for by the public. And the prizes were fantastic, kind of a critique with an editor and an agent. And so I went up this competition and I got shortlisted, which was just amazing. And I didn't get anywhere near winning. But um, an agent contacted me after that and said, I really like your writing. Um, could you please send over the rest of your book? And of course, I was like, oh, I was kind of flabbergasted. Um So I sent it over and I waited and she got back and she said, I'm not sure this is the story for me. Have you written anything else? And I said, yes, I've got another book. So I sent her my first book and I waited and she came back and said, I really like your writing, but the story's not for me. Have you written anything else? And I said, well, I'm writing my third book. So she said, we'll send that over when you've written it. So then I finished writing my third book um, and I sent it over to her and she said that she loved it and she took me on. Um, as her client which was an amazing moment Um, and she sent my book out on submission and it went on submission it got some really lovely feedback but no one picked it up and so I was kind of getting to the end of that process thinking oh what's going to happen next in the meantime I'd written a fourth book so I was kind (laughs) of beefering away writing books Um, but then at the end of that submission my agent told me that in fact she was going to change career she she kind of her circumstances had changed she was going to do something else and I was suddenly at the position of having to go out on submission again to agents so I'd got so far in the process I was so close and I suddenly thought this is it and that was that's the only point in the process where I thought I'm going to give up I'm going to give up I can't do it anymore I've faced so much and I can't go through it all again so that was the kind of most heartbreaking moment um but in the meantime after the novelicious competition, I'd started blogging for them and started reviewing books. I love the website and I just knew it was so inspiring to writers and readers and aspiring authors. Um, and so I'd been reviewing for them and I was invited to go to Alex Brown and um, her book launch for ice cream at Carrington's in Fortman Masons. So I went off to this to review it for novelicious and her editor, Kate, was there and I thought, you know, I'm in the situation. I've got this amazing author here who I love her books. And here's her editor, HarperCollins editor. And um, there were other bloggers kind of around the table. And I just said to, you know, Kate started talking to me. And I said to her, oh, I've written a book. And it went out on submission. And she said, oh, I don't think we've seen it. Why don't you send it over to me? And I thought, okay, stay calm, stay calm. <laughs> and so I emailed her across my book. And I waited and I waited And after a couple of months, when I was suddenly back at kind of ground zero, back to submitting my next book to agents again, thinking this is all hopeless, I thought, 
I haven't heard back from her. So I emailed her and I said, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at the book I sent over. And she replied and said, um, I have. Would you like to come and meet me for lunch in London? And at that point, I kind of, I was at work and I ran around the office <laughs> kind of trying not to scream. And I forced myself to wait half an hour before replying. I thought I can't reply immediately saying, yes, I'll get on a train now. I'll come <laughs> um, and so then I met, went down and met with her and she was very encouraging about my writing. She said again, she didn't think the story was quite right, um, but she'd love to work on something with me. And we started to develop ideas. And it was from there that I got my kind of first book deal and um, started working with Kate and was kind of really the start of everything. So oh, that's, that's fantastic. It's a very long and convoluted story with lots of ups and downs, as I'm sure lots of writers have. Um, it's absolutely yeah. normal. That's it. I mean, my it was my debut was my fourth book. It's yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but no, it's just such a slog, and I think it's always encouraging. I always love to hear um, because you know we do have a bit of the myth of the overnight success or whatever. Absolutely. So I think yeah. it's important to to reiterate that it doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong or that you're not a good <laughs> writer. It's just the way it is um it's, but yeah it's tough <laughs> I think it's a huge mix of kind of perseverance dedication um and always a bit of luck kind of being in the right place yeah. at the right time as I was at that kind of book launch um and I have to say that that point where I thought I'm going to give up I can't do it anymore I realized then that I loved writing too much to ever give up writing and it was just that as long as I was writing what have I got to lose by submitting it and trying to get published? Okay, it's agony sometimes, um, but I think, you know, I would never stop writing because it's just kind of in me now. <laughs> so I thought I may as well just continue to try and get it published. No, that's fantastic. And um, so you you don't have an agent still, is that right? So you just oh, deal no, with I do have an agent now. I kind of, um, there was an agent who I had always kind of admired and who represented loads of my favourite authors. And once I got my book deal, I kind of got in touch with her and said, I don't know if you fancy kind of working with me. I've kind of, and, and she, she kind of read my stuff and said, yes, she would take me on. So, no, I do have an agent now, a really fantastic agent. Um, so everything yeah. fell into place then. It did, yeah. It all kind of worked out in a kind of backwards sort of way, really. And um, you've been very happy. You're with HarperCollins. Yes. For the, lovely. Um, and I was going to say as well that... Um, what um what I was really interested in as well was whether your earlier books um have always been in the same sort of genre. Did you find it easy to choose what genre to write and or Yeah, um yes, they've always been in the same genre. Um I love I love women's fiction, kind of warm romantic reads. Um one of the books that actually made me realise I wanted to be a writer at the same time as kind of coming across this creative writing course was called A Hopeless Romantic by Harriet Evans. And it is the most kind of fantastic book. It's set partly in London and partly in Norfolk, which drew me to it in the first place because I come from London, but I now live in Norfolk. So it was kind of um, really chimed with me for that. But the central character, Laura, is fantastic. She's so real and funny, but it's a real kind of a real life fairy tale. Um and the hero is fantastic and I just read that book and I thought that was really the time I thought I want to have a go at this I want to kind of create something like this and I want to make readers feel about my characters the way that I feel about Harriet Evans's book and her characters it just really 
that was that kind of surge of kind of inspiration really I wanted to do that um in terms of reading I read all genres I read a lot of crime and psychological thrillers I love that kind of book but for writing I just love I love the will they won't they between a hero and a heroine that's kind of one of the best things for me and one of the things I most enjoy writing so when it came to kind of what I wanted to write about that was always it and so although my kind of books are you know different themes dog walkers um guest house canal boat cafe and now there's nature reserve there's always that kind of will they won't they that runs through them that I just really I really enjoy reading and I really enjoy writing Mm, absolutely quite a few of my I like you I read very widely but um the books that I return to time and time again to reread for comfort or you know do tend to be the sort of feel-good women's fiction I love a good psychological thriller but there's nothing no book that makes me kind of happier or feel more kind of gleeful than than reading one of those kind of you know Kathy Brownlee Karen Swan uh Jill Mansell um (laughs) I was going to say, when you're writing it as well, of course, you have to spend so much time in the world. You know, I enjoy yeah. reading widely, but there's there are fewer uh, stories that I want to spend months and months and months living. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> uh-huh. I think that does make a difference as well. I plotted out a kind of psychological thrillery type book quite recently. And although I was kind of quite excited about it, I thought... God, can I really sit down and write this? It's so dark. (laughs) I I want to write kind of I want to write hopeful kind of love stories. Obviously, you know, they can't be straightforward. There have to be lots of twists and turns. Um, but yeah, I just they just make me happy. (laughs) Oh, that's great. And so um that would be I was going to ask you about tips for staying prolific and staying productive. Um while this is your business now as well as your passion Um, and I assume that writing what you actually really enjoy is probably a good tip (laughs) definitely definitely. I think the foremost thing is that you have to love the story and you have to love the characters you have to be really invested and engaged and really care what happens to them and I think as long as you do that then you're never going to leave it behind for too long because in some respects you're kind of as eager to find out if their story will play out as a reader would be and I think having that kind of enthusiasm in your writing is what helps readers to be enthusiastic about it as well like if you think you're just going through the motions oh yeah well this has to happen now then I think that will come across in the finished book so I think kind of being positive about it and inspired by it is the main thing um to do to kind of help you and spur you on one kind of much smaller tip that I would have is I quite like to leave my writing for the day at a place where I'm really excited about writing the next bit um so kind of don't write the really good scene and then think well this bit's going to be a bit more tangled and difficult like write that bit and then so that you know when you wake up oh I've got this really good kind of or really interesting or really juicy bit to write um I think that's really helped me kind of to to kind of engage myself and I don't go back and edit what I've written the day before but I will read it okay Um, Mm -hmm. I'll read through it because then it helps me to immerse myself back in the story but I won't get caught up on going back and changing things I'll do the first draft and then I'll go back and work on the thing as a whole because I think once you've got to the end you can kind of see where you need to change bits and where it needs to be picked up or kind of slowed down um, and things like that um, and another thing is if you're really stuck I always kind of step away from it a bit 
kind of go and sit in the garden or just make a cup of tea or go for a walk if you're really kind of frustrated with it and then kind of come back to it a bit later or the next day um, once your mind has had a chance to kind of think of it in the background instead of in the foreground. Mm. I do know what you mean about it kind of being the business as well now and I think once that happens you do kind of heap more pressure on yourself in respect of kind of well I've got to earn money from this now am I marketing it enough myself am I doing enough to kind of get it in front of readers and um that I think that is something that will always be there and will always kind of creep in especially as I do comparing yourself to other authors and seeing what they're doing and the success they've got and that can sometimes be difficult and if I find myself getting bogged down in that side of things I tend to kind of step away from social media because although social media and being in touch with other writers is like the most helpful thing in such a solitary job. If you're just kind of going through Twitter or Instagram or just constantly looking at other people's books on Amazon, then it can start to kind of feel a bit pressurised. So then I'll just go away and I'll read a book or um, or I'll just go back to my story and just concentrate on that because at the end of the day, without that, without your story and your characters and your kind of passion for them, then it wouldn't be a business because you wouldn't be doing it anymore. (laughs) That's excellent advice (laughs) and I will try and follow it. (laughs) And I also wanted to ask about, because you've said a few times about really getting into your story and that being really the key to to lots of your productivity and so on. So I just wondered if I could just delve into that a tiny bit more. Do you use, um, do you write to music or do you look at, pictures or do you do anything to help you get into the story if you're finding it difficult um I do listen to music Mm -hmm. I love kind of singer songwriter music um what my husband nicely refers to as whiny chicks with guitars (laughs) Um, and because they're often quite kind of emotional and romantic I often kind of feel really inspired by some of those so if I'm kind of writing a first draft or editing then I'll kind of have that music on in the background when it gets to things like copy edits or proofs, I'll turn the music off because I need to kind of focus really, really intently. Um, I don't tend to use mood boards um, or kind of go on Pinterest. I don't really understand Pinterest. I find it so confusing. Um, <laughs> but I do often um, have an idea in my head of settings. Um, most of the places, the settings kind of come from places I've been to, places I've been inspired by, like, Ely and the kind of Fens and the Canal Network for Canal Boat Cafe and Hastings and Dorset for the Once in a Blooming Guest House. And the reason I'm so kind of inspired to write The House of Birds and Butterflies is that uh, we go bird watching a lot. We go to lots of RSPB reserves near us. There are some fantastic ones in Norfolk and Suffolk. Um, So I've always kind of had a huge amount of that in my head. And I really had wanted to write a book set at one of those reserves for a really long time to come. But I just think kind of getting into the story with my plan, um, I just kind of try and delve into it, kind of turn my Scrivener full screen, shut the door, put on some kind of nice music and um, just kind of try and get lost in it, really. Yeah. Yeah, brilliant. Mm -hmm. And um, have you got any tips or um, books or resources or anything like that that you would recommend to people who are, um, you know, maybe struggling with their first or fourth or fifth book? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I think one that I'm sure lots of writers have talked about on writing by Stephen King is a fantastic book because it's so kind of it's his his brilliant way of writing it just feels so friendly 
And yet it's incredibly helpful with lots of advice, but also how he kind of got to where he is and the struggles he faced and just kind of showing that someone who is a global bestseller, you know, known by everyone in the world, incredibly prolific and brilliant, kind of it wasn't easy for them at the beginning either. And that everyone has that that journey. Um, a couple of books that my parents kind of gave to me and I read recently, which I think are really helpful for kind of cutting through all the rubbish and the procrastination and the worrying thoughts. There's one called Letters to a Young Writer by Colin McCann, which is very short and it's kind of very short snippets and you can dip into it and out of it. And it talks about things like, it sometimes it has things that are just two sentences, like face the blank page down. And it just kind of is quite short and punchy, but it's got some really, really good advice in there as well. And another one called Release the Bats by DBC Pierre. Again, it's kind of, it's got some quite interesting stuff about the technical structure of books. And it's got some really interesting stuff about kind of the mindset that a writer often goes into, you know, kind of sitting there, turning yourself inside out with worries about other writers and things like that. And I think both those books, although they're kind of not conventional in the sense they don't go through the process of writing a book, they have some really good advice. And when I was reading, I was thinking, God, yeah, I so often go into that headspace and I know it's really bad for me. And they kind of teach you how to get out of it and kind of bring yourself back to your writing, really. So I found I found those really, really useful. And often they kind of sit on the shelf near my desk and I'll kind of pick them up and flick through them and find something really helpful if I'm feeling a bit bogged down with something. Oh, that's brilliant. Those last two ones I haven't heard of, so I can add them to my list. That's yeah. fantastic. Thank you. I hadn't heard of them either. My parents got them for me, I think, for Christmas. They were just like, oh, we found these, you know. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> um, just to finish up, what are you working on at the moment or what's next? What's next? Well, I have written a synopsis for a new book, which I'm really, really excited about. Um, it's something a little bit different. It's still in the same genre, um, but it's something to do with well, something that I'm fascinated with and have been for a long time, but I don't know whether I should say too much about it because it's not—it's certainly not kind of finalised yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but just to say that hopefully there will be another book, which I think will be in the same format, probably kind of four ebooks and then and then the full book. Um, but hopefully I'll be able to kind of say some more about that mm-hmm. relatively soon. <laughs> Well, you've cracked the process now, so just keep yeah, it feels a lot clearer than it did at the beginning. But yeah, I kind of feel like I've got into the rhythm with it now. No, well, that's very impressive. <laughs> um, so, where can we find more about you and your books? Where are you online? Um, I have got a website, cressidamclaughlin.com. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at Cress McLaughlin and Facebook, Cressida McLaughlin Author. Um, and I try to be quite kind of visible on all of those, um, always going in and tinkering with my website, um, updating it. So hopefully you've got there's some information on there if you want to find out a bit more about me and all my different book series. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. It has been lovely to speak to you. It's been lovely to speak to you too. Thanks for having me on your show. Thanks for listening today. For show notes and links, head to worriedwriter.com. If you'd like to connect, find me on Twitter at Sarah R. Painter or use the hashtag WorriedWriter. See you next time.